Friends, I'd like to tell you about something I saw on telly the other day. In many ways, it wasn't a particularly unusual thing that I saw, uh, but in the light of what we're looking at this morning in Malachi, it, uh, it sort of took my attention, so bear with me. I was watching a game of rugby league on telly, and what happened was that there was this big, buffy forward bloke who was holding down this other guy in the tackle, uh, rubbing his face into the ground, putting his knees in the middle of his back. You know, told you, it's not all that unusual a thing. And so the referee stopped, uh, stepped in, yelled at the bloke to get off, and so this big, buffy forward got off and ran back to his mark. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, because... Forgetting the game, if you're an outsider looking in, not really knowing who's who, that's a very unusual thing because the ref was actually a pretty little guy. And so you've got this little weedy guy telling this other huge guy to get off some bloke and stop hitting him and the big guy does it. Now, if that scene was played out maybe in the beer garden of a pub, I reckon there'd be quite a different outcome. But there wasn't because of the authority of the little weedy guy. And the respect that he was shown because of what he was able to do, that had an effect. And I put it to you that that's the way we often live our life. That the way we treat others, more often than not, it it is shaped by what that other person can do to us. What that other person can do for us. And so I would hazard a guess that you treat your peers at work in a slightly different way to the way you treat your boss at work. That I suspect you might treat a policeman knocking at your front door in a little different way to the way you might treat a door-to-door salesperson knocking at your door. That at school, the way you talk to the other students is perhaps a little bit different to the way you speak to the school principal. Well, at least I'm hoping it's different. (laughs) Because that's the thing, if it's not, you might get yourself into a lot of trouble. Because to not treat someone in authority with the respect that they really deserve, that's very foolish indeed. Which is what this section is all about in Malachi this morning. It's a section all about the trouble that Israel are going to land themselves in if they don't start acknowledging the authority of God. See, last week, you might remember, we made a start in Malachi, and it was written at a time when Israel haven't twigged to the greatness of God yet. Here they are here, right at the end of the Old Testament, and they still haven't got it. They still don't see how extraordinary Yahweh, the one true God of all the universe, is. And so last week, in the first five verses, we saw that it was all about how far greater God's love is compared to the way we love each other. That God's love properly understood, God's love doesn't just give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. God's love causes you to tremble in awe before his sovereignty and his power. Now, you see, having having spoken of God's, the greatness of God's love last week, what Malachi does now is he starts to talk about the greatness of God's authority and how that should shape us. And it does this by, by dealing with a problem offering some proofs for the problem and then outlining a punishment as a result of the problem. Firstly comes this problem, verse 6, chapter 1. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's the honour due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? 
Now, you see the issue here? The issue is an authority thing. Uh, They're not getting the greatness of God's influence and power. Because in verse 6, God does not say, he does not say, if I am your father, where is the love due to me? That's a slightly different issue. He doesn't say, if I am a father, where is the affection due to me? Love and affection might be appropriate, but that's not the issue here. The problem is one of honour. The problem is one of respect. In other words, where is the recognition of my influence over you? Where is the acceptance of my majesty? Where is the submission to my authority? I am Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. So how come you treat your boss at work with more respect than me? How come you give a referee at a sporting match more obedience than me? That's what Yahweh's on about here. And to make it worse, these are comments that are directly um, to the priests of Israel. Did you notice that at the end of that verse? It is to you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Which makes this a terrible thing that's happening. Because the priests in Israel, they were actually to be the very people who embody and promote the greatness of God. I mean... In the Old Testament, you've got this whole system of sacrifices having to be made and only a few select priests being able to make them. And some of the priests only able to ever go into the Holy of Holies before God once a year, once in their lifetime. And the whole thing was to reinforce the majesty and the reverence that you've got to have to the God of all the universe. You can't just bowl up to Yahweh any old way. No, no, you need priests to help people keep their distance, to help people keep proper protocols. And you needed intermediators, uh, intermediates between God and, and people. And it was all a system to teach them that God dwelt in unimaginable authority. And the nations cringe before him. And the earth bows to him. And here in Malachi's day, <laughs> it's the priests who are the worst offenders at not getting that. It's a measure of how far gone they are that they don't even think there's a problem. It's you, O priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You know, they reckon that the first step in dealing with a problem is owning up that you got the problem. Uh, In Malachi's day, the priests, they are so far gone that they, they don't see the issue. And so what God does now is that having stated this problem, he goes on to give a couple of proofs of it. The first one being their indifference to the sacrifices to God. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? The Old Testament law in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they required that animals without blemish be sacrificed to God, that someone as great as God deserves the best. He is the creator and sustainer of all the universe. Even second best, that's an insult to God. It's got to be the best. That's not what's going on. And God is enraged, insulted. See, it's a bit like uh, turning up to someone's place who, is, who has invited you for a meal and you turn up at the door, your hosts open it and you are completely underwhelmed by their welcome. Oh, it's you guys. What do you do? Oh, that's right. We invited you. I forgot all about that. Oh, look, you're here now. Come on in anyway. And so they rustle around in the kitchen and out comes the mouldy dip. 
Out comes the stale corn chips that have been open for a few weeks. Out comes the sour cream container that's right up the back of the fridge and is way past the use-by date. And you end up being served up a meal of all this leftover stuff that they want to try and get rid of anyway. Meanwhile, they order out to New, Newtown Providors or something for this lash-up really beautiful food that they sit down and eat in front of you. How would that make you feel? How important would you feel to them? That's what God's feeling here. Israel are serving up despicable sacrifices and keeping the best for themselves. And if that's not bad enough, they are doing it with a contemptible attitude. Look at verse 13. And you say, what a burden. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands? Friends, you see what's going on here? The priests are turning up at the temple and they're just, oh, this is so boring. And they're just going through the motions. Oh, look, there's a lamb over there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crippled, but it'll do. Let, let's get it. Oh, look, it's almost lunchtime yet. And they're just so lukewarm and indifferent. Can't be bothered. Going through the motions. And their lack of care over these things betrays an utter contempt to God's authority. And that's not even the only piece of proof. It's not just indifference to the sacrifices for God, it's an indifference to the word of God. And this particularly comes to the fore into chapter 2. Look, for example, at uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. <coughs> for the lips of a priest... Or to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You violated the covenant with Levi, Levi being the descendant, um, the forefather of the priests. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you've not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Now, in those verses, notice that God's pointing out that the role of the priest was to preserve knowledge, he says there, give instruction. These guys were meant to be teaching God's word, God's law, to Israel. These guys were meant to be the showcases of how the word of God was to be revered and handled and lived out. And they are so much the opposite. By their lives and teaching, they are showcasing an indifference to God's word. People are saying, well, why should I obey it when the priest doesn't? If a priest shows partiality, if the, if the priest is picking and choosing which bits of God's word to obey, well, why can't I do the same? And it's all springing from a failure to get the full authority of the God who has spoken this word. You see it again in verses 5 and 6 where, where God uses Levi as an example of how they should have been operating. Look at verse 5, for example. My covenant was with him, that's Levi, the covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from sin. Now, do you see that contrast that's happening there between how Levi acted and how this current crop of priests are acting? 
Levi turned from sin. These guys are actually causing many people to stumble into sin. Uh, Levi gave true instruction. These guys show partiality in their instruction. Uh, Levi walked in uh, purity and uprightness. And these guys are wandering from the, uh, away from the word of God. And this whole contrast between the way Levi operated and the way these guys are operating, the whole contrast is based on the way they think of God. Because Levi, verse 5, he revered God. Levi, he stood in awe of God. And that is so not what these guys in Malachi's day were doing. Because they just do not get how powerful his authority is. And it is going to lead them into a world of trouble. Because what you notice through this section is that right through the section of chapter 1 and chapter 2, you get sprinkled all these comments about the punishment that they are heading for. I mean, why on earth would you disregard someone with the power and authority of the Lord God Almighty? Why on earth would you kick sand in someone's face who was that big? It'll cause you a big, uh, it'll get you into a world of trouble. Look, for example, at chapter 1, verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light, that, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you. And I will accept no offering from your hand. My name will be great among the nations, from the, rising of the sun, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations. Look down at verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king. My name is to be feared among the nations. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, if you do not set your hearts to honour my name, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices. You will be carried off with it. Now, friends, notice the passion of those words of punishment and warning. Notice the refrains that keep getting repeated. You will be cursed for this. You will be cursed. You will be cursed because my name will be great. My name will be great. I will be feared. Put simply, God will not tolerate those who disrespect his authority. God hates it when people fail to, re, to regard his majesty. Look at the emotion and the pictures, the vividness of what he's talking about here. He's talking of rubbing the priest's faces in the offal, holding them down in the, their, their heads into the intestines and the stomach and the feces and the urine from these contemptible sacrifices. That's, that's a very vivid picture. God does not feel lightly about this. I don't know about you, but it presses memory buttons in my head about Jesus' words to that uh, Laodicean church in Revelation 4. That's the bit where Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Because you're lukewarm, because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. It's another very vivid picture, isn't it? Again, showing that God hates it 
He hates it when we are apathetic towards him. He hates it when we are indifferent to him. He is infuriated by people who fail to be gripped by his greatness. He is enraged by the impertinence of of not taking him seriously because he is a great king. His name is to be feared. His authority is to be trembled before. And look, you and I are not Levitical priests at the time of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. There is a difference. But I'm thinking that if anything, this lesson about the greatness of God's authority and the reverence that ought to be shown to him because of it, the honour and respect and obedience that he... If anything, that is only reinforced by the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Son of God, he walked this earth and he displayed enormous authority. He walked around healing sickness with effortless ease. He rose people from the dead. He ordered demons around. He calmed storms. Jesus kept doing stuff that simply terrified people because they realised that he was someone that they couldn't control. He was someone that they couldn't contain. He was someone they couldn't manipulate or avoid. He was someone of mind-numbing authority. And Jesus walked up to people, and he did not say, look, I'm sorry, if you, as long as you're not doing anything else, I'd sort of like you to follow me. He just walked up to people and demanded that they follow him. Such is his authority. And friends, brothers and sisters, if we believe that of Jesus, that ought to show in the honour and the respect we give him. If we really do understand that level of authority in the Son of God, then it's got to show in the sacrifices that we're prepared to make in our life and the obedience that we give him to his word, not just parts of his word, all of it. We are not to meander through our weeks giving God's second best use of whatever time or whatever money or whatever energy or whatever passion we might want to throw him. We're not to get you know, more worked up about our sporting team sometimes than, than the kingdom of God. Thinking and planning and saving for ages about our holiday plans but not about the plans for the spread of the gospel. Just this last week as I've, as I've spent time in this, I've been rebuked. Because in all honesty, I have felt far more excitement about reading the latest Harry Potter book than I often feel about reading the Bible. And it shouldn't be like that, friends. We mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that we can bowl up to God with our half-baked commitment and he's going to be happy with it. As if God is some sort of beggar who's content to have any little morsel that we happen to throw in his direction. He is a great king. His name is to be feared. At one time, uh, the famous missionary David Livingston, uh, he was actually written to by a missionary society who said, quote, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. David Livingston wrote back, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. 
I wonder if Malachi was writing that reply. He would have said it also in terms of, send me people who understand the greatness of God. Send me people who are so gripped by God's authority. Send me people who are so humbled by God's love that they will make sacrifices and great ones. That they will revere his word greatly. Not just parts of it, all of it. I wonder if Malachi would have written something like that. And friends, you and I, as, as a result of spending time in Malachi this morning, let's be those sorts of people. Let's greatly revere our Lord God Almighty. For he is a great king. His name will be feared among the nations. I'll pray. Father, Father thank you again for, for reminding us of your greatness this morning. And please, please deliver us from the apathy and the dreariness and the sheer laziness we, we, we treat you with sometimes. Father, in our heart of hearts, we want to be filled with passion and giving you the best of our life. Father, by your word and spirit, please continue your work in us so that, we'd pe- so that we would be people like that. Help us to fear you. Help us to greatly revere and honour you. Help us to be humbled by you and so gripped by your authority that we live lives of great sacrifice and great obedience. Amen.